Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Leisure wear, there's nothing Love quite like it. Good morning. Hi, everyone. How are you all doing? Great, great. Thank you so much. Welcome to Down to Earth. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth. It's the podcast in which we talk about the issues that matter. And I stumbled across something yesterday that I just felt like I had to come and talk to you guys about. As usual, you know how it is. I read a lot, and then I come across stuff, and I have to share it with you. So, by the way, in talking about reading, how many of you know that I'm an author? I have written three books. I have perhaps uh, written reviews on other people's books. So, if you were to put me in your Google search you would find that my name is attached to other works that perhaps in one book in particular, I think I was written about myself and 100 other inspirational women around the world. Thank you to Dr. Shelley Hipsky. She's based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, an awesome woman, an awesome lady who has quite a movement of inspiring women around the world. And she wrote a book some time ago called Common Threads, and she searched for 100 inspiring women around the world. I was one of them. I'm written off in a book. Shout out to me, right? Yeah, and so will you. By the end of this podcast, you'll find ways in which you yourself, having made an impact on your community. I am so humbled when I find my name attached to others and when people seek me out. I'm so tremendously humbled, even by your presence today, just the fact that you tune in to listen to me and to hear what I have to say humbles me. When I go to my bed at night, I give thanks that I am someone whose attention you seek. Thank you. Thank you. I am forever humbled, right? Uh, So as I was telling you before, I'm an author, so you can find my books They're available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, anywhere books are sold. And it's interesting that we talk about uh, authors because that's how we eat, right? And many people like to pirate other people's works. I'm one of those people who never believed in pirating a movie or a song. I always want to know, where can I download your book? Where can I download your track? Where can I download? Because I'm an artist. And that's how I survive. That's how I eat, right? This is what I do. I write and I speak. And so it is uh, befitting to, uh, to recognize the talent that exists so that we can uh, support one another, right? Right. So I'm going to ask you that if you're an artist, a creator, drop your work here so that others who are on this podcast can see it. And if I see it pop up, I will give you a shout out, right? Drop your work. You know, if you're a creator of something, whether you're a writer or you have a track or you yourself host your own podcast, drop it right here. I will talk about you. As a matter of fact, my good friend, Mike, Mike Staley of WKMD Jazz Detroit has his own podcast. I mean, they broadcast jazz music. My good friend, uh, the Van Keto Show, he specializes in hip hop history, right? These are brand creators. <laughs> These are people who sit down one day and have an idea and bring their story so the rest of us can benefit from it. So I give them a shout out, right? So today I want to talk about the talented tent. Uh, it, it, it's something I came across last night when I was reading. As you know, I read, right? Just like you. Most of us read before we go to bed. I've been saying it for a year now. Turn the TV off right? Pick up a book and read it. There is knowledge available. I'm amazed at my capacity to remember stuff and my capacity to record stuff because I think there is an endless supply of knowledge out there. I don't think that I will ever know everything that I want to know. I'm constantly searching. My brain is constantly just gathering data and it stores it and then it regurgitates at the time when I need it, right? 
<laughs> so last night as I was reading, uh, and I must give this as a disclaimer, I'm not, I was not born in America, right? So I'm not native to the history that resides with Black Americans. Let me say that. So hearing about this, uh, the concept of the talented tent surprised me. I'd never discussed it before. Having not studied here, it was not a sociological concept that I was familiar with or that I had come across. So I had to delve into it and do some research. One of the things I did was I asked my daughter if she were aware of it. My daughter, uh, as you know, has graduated law school, right? So I thought that she might have come across it. I asked my youngest daughter, and she said, mm, foreign concept, never heard of it. And I'm like, you're in high school and you've never heard of it. So that tells me how relevant it must be to the thinking of the time. So I did some research into the talented tent, and I want to pose the question to those of us who are of the Black diaspora, is the, the concept of it, talented tent, is it relevant to Black America? Someone on my timeline just said there is no Black America, there's just America. Well, that's what we are striving for. We're striving to see all of us as one, because that's what we are, one. However, we're a potbelly mix, and we're a motley crew of different people from different lands with different ideas and so on. So in an effort to appreciate uh, one another, I think you need to know a little bit of my history. If you don't know my history, you don't know where I'm coming from. So when I talk, how are you going to understand me if you don't know my history? I will say that one thing about the white culture is that they continue to propagate their history. They never miss the mark and they never miss an opportunity to tell you who they are and where they come from. They never stop telling you about the music of Bach. They never stop telling you about the history of Western Europe, right? Because if you don't know your history, you don't know where I'm coming from. So they make sure they continue to perpetuate it and tell it. Now, if we, who are people of color, do not continue to regurgitate our history, how will anyone understand where we're coming from? They'll just think we're some people who just appeared on the planet. Right here in Metro Detroit, we, we refer to it as Metro Detroit. It's as diverse as you can imagine. There is a community called Hamtramck. Now, Hamtramck, a hundred or so years ago, was settled by Poles, by people from Poland, who had come to America seeking opportunity. Today, Hamtramck is settled by people of Arab descent. You can't drive through there and stuff. It's like you're driving through Iran or Baghdad. Stuff is just written in Arabic. I, I, I am so curious now that I think I'm going to learn Arabic living in this area. In fact, part of our community in Metro Detroit is Dearborn. Dearborn has the highest number of Arabs outside of the Arab world, right? How diverse is that? Now, if I don't know their history, then I'm not going to know where they're coming from. If they don't know my history, how are they going to know where I'm coming from? So I'm driving through Hamtramck, and there are people from Yemen, Jordan, and everywhere else. I mean, in, in fact, there was a sign that says Bangladesh. I learned that there are a number of people who came from Bangladesh, right? Do you see what I'm saying? So if I don't know your history, how can I appreciate you? When I see you as a human being, recognizing that there might be some ethnic or cultural differences that surface, if I don't understand your history, how am I going to appreciate you? How am I going to show you the respect that is deserving of your personhood? In a lot of ways, that is what is wrong with our culture. Black Americans have been so dismissed by the majority culture for so long that now we're faced with a dilemma. You know what the dilemma is? In another 20 years, the minority will be the majority. And because we're facing that apocalyptic event, it's almost like an apocalypse of our population, 
we're now immersed with, I don't know these folks. I don't know anything about them for so long. We have dismissed them. We've never, we haven't paid any credence to who they are. So I'm saying, I'm posing and I'm positing that there is a part of us that you need to understand that the black America that existed under slavery does not exist anymore, but our memories of that still exist. The black America that existed under Jim Crow and under reconstruction and civil rights, that black America is evolving. Not like the media is presenting it. The media takes a great deal of time in showing you the worst case scenarios. Now, to be fair, if the media wanted to be fair, if the media wanted to show all of us, the media could also go down to the meth labs that exist in the back walls and rural areas of America. They could go to the Appalachian Mountains and they could show white Americans who are rural and who still live way below the poverty line. Do you remember last year when people were lost in the, in the mines and it was found out that the reason they were lost was because they went looking for copper? They actually ended up being arrested after they were rescued because they were looking for copper, which is illegal. That's poverty that was driving that. You see what I mean? But the media did not spend the time focusing on it. They spent that they spent most of their time focusing on the ills and the worst parts of black America, which are caused by institutionalized racism and generational poverty as a result of slavery and Jim Crow because blacks were denied the power to acquire wealth. Now, the concept of the talented tent surrounds a creation by a group of white men, a group of white men, right? They thought they were Northern white liberals and they thought that if they could provide education to some of the black population, then it would create a new black upper class. They really were seeking to say, well, we know we can't educate everybody, but if we do it mass and mass, then the people who want it will come. So through an organization called the Christian Missionary Society, they created black colleges and universities, right? John Rockefeller led the group. His name was the most famous one, right? Out of this thinking, came a black man named W.E. Du Bois, who is revered in the black community for being an inventor, innovator, and so on. And he said, if we could create a black intellectual class, if one-tenth, if one in 10 black men was exposed to classical education, then he could come back and uplift the black race. That idea was a little bit different from Booker T. Washington, who believed in industrial education. Later on, W.E. Du Bois had to redefine his ideology because he found that education is not the only thing and that, in fact, the change that he imagined would come came from the grassroots people who perhaps had not been exposed to classical education. Classical education produces lawyers, doctors, engineers, teachers, uh, and so on. Sometimes those folks are not the ones who lead the movement for change. And so he later redefined it, but that's where the talented 10 comes from, that one in 10. So they thought that if one-tenth of the black population went to college, then that would uplift the rest of the black population. But they focused on education. Now, like I said, I wasn't born here, and my family originated in the Caribbean. So let me put that as a disclaimer. Whereas we also thought that education was the way out and was one of the way out. I don't know where I got this from, but for me, wealth and the creation of wealth is the mainstay. You know why? Because for me, wealth gives you power. And wealth gives you power and influence. And if you have wealth that gives you power and influence, you can create effective, meaningful change that lasts from one generation to the other. A hundred and so years ago, when they came up with this concept 
of the talented 10th. It created a black upper class, sure. There were a multitude of lawyers and doctors and engineers and philosophers and scholars abounding. But a hundred and so years later, we still have endemic institutionalized racism. Education was not the only way. There are a bunch of people around me who are educated beyond your wildest dreams. People have three and four degrees. It's mind-blowing. Have we gotten rid of the real problem? The real problem is wealth. You know what I have found? That's one thing where white people win all the time. They have wealth. They understand this. And they have wealth done pat. They make sure they give the best interest rates so that young people who are just starting out can buy a house real quick because they understand that home ownership is the basis of creating a solid middle class that sets you up to have wealth, right? So they make sure that you have the tools to do that. They make sure no matter how bad their credit is, they will always get a car loan, a house loan, a mortgage, a credit card at very good interest rates because they understand the concept that wealth is the defining factor. You don't believe me? Have all the education you want. I know plenty of people who have a multitude of degrees who are broke today, still don't have $100,000 to their name, still can't find $100,000. Right now, they might struggle to find $10,000. I kid you not. Still have three degrees, still very qualified, still are not near the million mark. The problem was not just education. Because if you can learn to read, you can pick up a book and read. What I found early on when I looked at this scenario, I said wealth is a tool. Wealth is the, is the thing that I need to pursue because with wealth comes influence and power. Others understand that. They make sure they create wealth. They make sure they have wealth that gives them access to power and influence. With that, they continue to perpetuate policies that does what? That solidifies their position every time, all the time. And where are you and I? Still sitting here with all of our three degrees. People who went to school, have three degrees and four degrees, are retired. And if you ask them right now for $10,000, they can't come up with it. I mean, they can probably pay their mortgage, pay their rent. But the cost of living is escalating so fast that what they thought they could retire off and live off, if you live long enough, you live beyond 10 years after retirement, you find that you're really in a problem. You're in a sticky boat. Wealth is the key. So the talented sense, is that still relevant to black America? I still think people need to go and get an education. At the very least, finish high school, get some sort of college education for the mere purposes that it disciplines you, but seek wealth. Right here in the black community, there are plenty of people. You will find them all over the place. They're, they're professionals. They, if they can find work, they use, typically they, work, they earn less than their white counterparts do. Typically, they are not promoted as much as their white counterparts are. They're still hanging on to the American dream. And there are still black folks who, by now, you've had two or three generations who, you know, were college educated, so they're passing it on to the next generation, so on and so forth. And so you could say there has been some success, but where is the wealth? I want to see the real money. The money is where you win. You know how I know that for sure? Elon Musk a white man who came here from South Africa was going to school in Canada, decided to transfer to a school here in the U.S. And he and his brother developed a software called Zip. Anybody remember that? You, could, you couldn't open a Zip file. If a file came to you in a Zip, forget it. You remember this? Well, they created that software and made $340 million by 1999. Wealth. I don't know if he finished school. He didn't say he graduated. He just said he attended. Right? Wealth is the key. Might I name another one? Right? Somebody is calling. Let me take this call. I have a caller. Uh, caller 314. Good morning. Welcome you know, you talk about... 
Mr. Moore, you talk about the title of the tenth. Uh, yeah. That can be looked at two ways. Of course, in any any society's population, I say any ethnic group's population, you're going to have a certain percentage of that population that's going to perform and achieve extraordinary things. Now, 10%, or it could go a little higher. Also, uh, you had a statesman by the name of W.E. Du Bois thought that it would do blacks good to mix with white and to improve 10% of the population along a whole host of areas. So yeah. that's two that's two prospect, prospective ways on how they came about. Now, another mm-hmm. thing, too, you talk about developing the wealth. One mm-hmm. of the major problems I see in black society, and I am considered black African-American, mm-hmm. is one, you may mention the economics and also the education. Mm-hmm. Of being such a small proportion of the population, you know, 11 to 13 percent, when mm-hmm. you look at the professions that's high demand, high pay, the percentages may be half that, maybe 5%, for instance, in doctors and surgeons. If you look at Asians, I tell you what, look at Nigerians who have a higher success rate in education and economics than the Asians do. But the information I received talks about Asians, where their population is about half that of black America but their percentages is sometimes double and triple in some of these professions. So that makes a lot of difference also. Uh, if you overrepresented in low-paying majors, well, it's going to reflect in your wealth. I mean, where else can it not reflect that? Right. Interesting. Yeah. Then yeah. another point. Another point. you got these historical black colleges where you only have five of them, where you have a graduation rate above 50% in six years. That means that the person is paying 50% more for a tuition for a degree that's not in high demand. Early childhood education, a lot of liberal arts, uh, mm-hmm. psychology, and so on, and so on, and so on. But your engineering yeah. fields, your STEM fields, they aren't there. Now, my last point, it's not necessarily the child's fault. It's society's fault and where they come from. Coming out of these elementary schools where they're the parents do not get involved. A parent should have their child evaluated asset to see exactly uh-huh. if they in the fifth grade that they are doing fifth grade work. If they in right. the eighth grade that they are doing eighth grade work and that's not right. happening. And children should not be locked down in one environment. That's why I like school mm-hmm. choice with vouchers, especially mm-hmm. it would benefit less fortunate families who don't have the money, but the parents mm-hmm. are doing everything that they should do in order right. to improve the education of the child. So that's right. where I stand on that. Wow. Interesting. Thank you so much for calling in. I really appreciate that. That's some interesting points, though. Thank you. But uh, so we just have this caller. He just kind of laid it down, wouldn't you say? He kind of just laid it out there for us to think about. And, it, and it's food for thought. You know, he says education goes all the way back to early childhood education and that a lot of HBCUs, I'm going to have to do a show on that later. A lot of HBCUs are graduating people with degrees that are not in demand. There's some things that I don't think you need to go to college for, people. Like, seriously, but we're going to talk about that later. I mean, like, why are you going to go to a four-year college and study psychology? What can you do with a four-year degree in psychology? Please help me to understand. When today, the focus is on what? Science. The focus is on engineering, isn't it? I know you hear a lot about STEM, and now they're added arts into it, so they're calling it STEAM in some places, STEM and STEAM. But the real truth of the matter is, we need to make sure that when we send our kids to college, don't come home with no degree in fine arts or come home with a degree in psychology, where, where, what, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to pay off your student loans is the first question I usually ask. Because how are you going to get a job, right? But that is education in a, in a module, in a pod. That's like putting education in a pod. So the question that my caller really is, 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 is asking is, how will education advance the future of the black race? 
how will education help to create wealth? I'm going to tell it to you just like this. If you're sending your kid to school, you need to ask them this question. How is your education going to help your bottom line? How will your education contribute to your wealth? If you're going to go to school and you're going to graduate and you're going to earn $40,000 a year for the rest of your life, you need to ask yourself this question. How will that pay off your student loan, buy yourself a house, and start to prepare for your next generation? Because seriously, that's what people are earning with a four-year degree. Because as usual with everything else, the salaries are not equal. So you will find that your white counterpart earns more than your black counterpart with the same degree. Why are you going to college and getting a, a degree in liberal arts? For four years, all you studied was liberal arts. So what, you just went to college to say, okay, I went to college because I just went to college? You're going to come out and earn $15 an hour. How is that going to help you create wealth? This is why a few years ago after the crash, the economic crash, a group of thinkers got together and they said, we need to start teaching people to be entrepreneurs. The black community is replete with this because we had no other choice. We couldn't get any work as talented and educated as we are. So we had no choice but to go start something so we could live. But we don't qualify or we don't benefit from mainstream funding. It's very rare when you see that happen. When you see it happen, you really need to clap and celebrate. Right? It's very rare. Not in the numbers that it happens in other communities. Now, other ethnic groups create their own funding mechanisms and their own funding work. They support one another, right? So, you know, if you're Korean and you want to start a business, you go to the other, the group of Koreans, and they help you get started so you don't have to go through with a bank loan because you may not get it. And you paid off after you've made money. If you're Arab, that's what they do. The black community needs to get together like that. So this is why I keep asking, is the talented tenth still relevant? Maybe it was necessary for the time. W.E. Du Bois, Booker T. Washington, that was a necessary concept to create awareness in the black race that you don't have to be slaves forever. That though you were taken from other lands, though you spent 100, 200 years being beaten down, you don't have to remain there forever. This is the chance to wake up. And they did. They responded. They became doctors, engineers, and so on. And then they've created an elite kind of class amongst, amongst themselves, is for want of a better word. But you've got to look at it within the big picture. The big picture is that blacks still are only 13% of the population, and a vast majority of black men are incarcerated, are in jail. So they're not contributing to the diaspora. They're not contributing to the currency and the, the commerce of the black community. I saw statistics recently that says that black people, we are the lowest producers and the biggest consumers. Like if money comes into the black community, it stays in our hands in four hours. Everywhere else, it spends days before it leaves. Why? Because we consume, but we don't produce. We have to change that orientation. In changing our mindset, we're going to change the ways in which we look at money. That money is a tool to make money. Say it. We're going to do some chants after this. We're going to do some mantras after this because we need to see ourselves as well. Everything that I do is about money. Everything that I stand for, every time I get up in the morning, I think about money. I love money. I'm going to tell you some things that I have found that people who have money do. They sit down and count money. I keep money all over my house. Don't come looking for me there. Right? It's one of the things that I have seen people do. They keep money. Keep money in your wallet. <laughs> Keep money so you attract money. Look at money different, right? So they may not give you, you may not have credit or they're not going to give you the credit at reasonable rates. Well, we need to find other ways to fund. You see all these people out there who are doing all kinds of stuff. I look at you and I'm like, if you have that much knowledge and that much enterprise, 
why don't you do something with it? If you can go think about how to distribute illegal substances, put that to something. It's going to take you longer, but you're going to win because you have the intellect and you have the wherewithal. So a hundred years or so, a hundred or so years ago, it was necessary to think that only 10% of the population could rise up. That's not true today. People don't want to rise up. Some people are stuck and they can't focus. Some people are just devoid of opportunity. Later on this week, we're going to do a show on something we discovered in Mississippi, where there are still debtors' prisons. Where that disproportionately locks up black people. In fact, they found three judges who are guilty. After I do that show, I'm pretty sure I can't go to Mississippi or drive through there. I'm pretty sure I'm going to rip it totally up from the ground up. When you look at that, you see that those economic policies and those uh, judicial policies directly were created to imprison black people who owe money. People owe like $3,000 and you lock them up, Right? It, these are the questions that we need to address. This is why everybody's going to school to get a degree. And I'm like, where are the social change people? Where are the social activists to bring attention to matters like these? So people can know it's one thing for you to go fix the bridge and, and go study how to build the bridge and be the consultant on the bridge. But I still need people to go before, before, the, the, before the legislators and say, why do we still have debtors' prisons in Mississippi that disproportionately locks up black people, that disproportionately locks up people who have been generationally and endemically poor because of public policy that has created that poverty over time? Come on, people. Let's just be clear. There, let's just be clear right here. People did not just grow up. Let me tell you this. For those of you who are non-black, right, and who might think or buy into the idea that black people are lazy, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Those of you who are non-black, who have been fed this story that black people lack enterprise, that is a lie from the pit of hell. You have no idea what it has been like to fight against a system of economic oppression that continually tries to subvert you and push you down. And every time you try to get up, it just doesn't work. There's somebody I know who is a politician. The, the party, the liberal party, will never put her forward because they just don't like her. Why they don't like her? She's not a bad person. They just don't like that about her. They want to continually push people whom they like. Now, she's well qualified, but what is she going to do? Do you see what I'm saying? People rake up. They talk about being woke, and I'm like, what are you talking about being woke? This stuff has been going on for over 100 years. We cannot afford to fall asleep at the switch. If you go into the Korean community, I learned recently that there are 10,000 Koreans in the metro Detroit area. They're not broke. They send their kids to school, to college, and they're not broke. And the vast majority of their kids don't always end up working in professions like docs in medicine or engineering or economics, right? They also go and take over mom and pop business, take what they have learned and make it multinational and multi-million dollar businesses. You think I'm joking? Just go in there and you see the younger generation running the same beauty supply that you went to when you were a kid. And it's the younger generation who has taken it over. Because you know what it's about? It's about the moolah. It's about the money. See them boys down yonder? The Arab boys? It's about the money. Don't you see? You know why they're fighting? And blasting off rockets? What are they protecting? Their moolah. Their money. It's about the money. It's time for black America to get over this thinking that intellectualism is what is going to carry us forward. No, you need people who have the money to fund change. There's a crazy guy out there, P. Diddy. I used to really like his music. Now he has become an arbiter of social change. He believes that he needs to have the money to support those activists who are moving forward to create social change and positive social change. I applaud that. Now, 
somebody else is going to look at that and say that's subversive because it diametrically opposes the public policies that you want to put forward of ensuring that black people end up only in prison. He's saying, we're not going to do that. They're advancing projects like the Innocence Project that completely exonerates people of color who get locked up and due to lack of funds, can't hire a lawyer, right? So what happens to them is that they end up what? Being locked up forever. The problem that Black America is facing right now is student loan debt. It's crippling. So no matter how many degrees, you have the education, you are working in the field, you're paying at least 10% or more less than your white counterparts, but your student loan is eating up your reserve. You still are retiring, owing money on your house, your primary residence. You still are retiring in debt, more debt that you've accumulated over a lifetime. Do you see the problem? The problem, yeah, you went to school. The problem is still what? The money. Let us focus on the fact that creation of wealth is what is going to help everyone. Now, I believe in education. I think we all should go get educated, right? It disciplines the mind, gives you focus, and makes you choose and focus on something. We need more Black engineers. We need more Black lawyers. I advocate for that. You need more Black lawyers who become judges and Supreme Court justices. You ha- in other words, what I'm saying is be strategic in your pursuit of education. Tell your young people, guide them. Why are you just going to college to get a four-year degree? What are you going to come out and do with that? After a couple of years, you can't do anything with that. A lot of people now have masters in public policy. And I'm like, so where are you going to work? In public policy? How many of you are going to work in public policy? Show me how you're going to create wealth. Guide them. We need more judges, more prosecutors. We need more people at the DOJ. We need more people at, at, uh, changing laws. So tell them, go become a lawyer so you can become a politician. What's your end goal? Don't just go to school with a liberal arts degree and a, a fine arts degree. Somebody goes to school and get a master's in fine arts. I want to, I want to really hold you and shake you and say, are you really serious? Are you seriously serious? Show me your body of work. <laughs> right? It's a different day and time. It's a different day and time. And we have to learn to discern the time. Right? And when you learn to discern the time, then you're able to move forward and understand what it is that we need to do. Right? I am not saying that W.E. Du Bois was wrong. He was correct for his time. I am happy to learn that the creators of historically black colleges and universities were a group of Christian-minded white people who decided that in order to, when people come out of slavery, now in order to train other black people, let's raise up a group of them who will go back and train others. That was good. That was good for the time. People have changed radically now. Most black educators now, I don't know. I think they're just doing it to get a paycheck. Right? Is there the drive and passion? And, you know, there's still some people who say, well, only black people can teach black people seriously. No. We need to be exposed to a wide variety of information so you can be a well-rounded person. And we need to do this quick, fast, and in a hurry, right? As the caller said, education is a good thing. And he, I can't stop hitting on the point that makes no sense to go to school and come out with a liberal arts degree. You must be strategic in your thinking. I have another caller. Hang on one second. Somebody else is calling. Hey there. Welcome to Down to Earth. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Just, just listening to the show, I didn't know I was uh, actually calling in to make a comment. But I guess uh-huh. since you answered the phone, uh, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, as far as W.E.B. Du Bois is concerned, I think that whole thing with Talented 10, uh-huh. I think it was, number one, there's no, 
it's inaccurate, right? There's no way to quantify or qualify that that talented tenth, right? Like we don't have right. the numbers. There's no scientific numbers or no study that was done to break it down to a tenth, right? Ah, um, I okay. Think the, I think the limitation on tenth was based on what was allowed. Ooh. Right? So there mm-hmm. were only so many black people that were allowed to get to certain positions and to have a degree oh, based God. on what, what they felt what they felt was was acceptable. Oh my. An attempt okay. an attempt was acceptable to them okay. white people back in that day. Barely. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's another thing. So I mean, just using that, um, I think was 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 not constructive. Mm-hmm. Coming up with that mm-hmm. term was not constructive. Uh-huh. What it did was it pit it pit certain black people against other black people in the community. And what it did was that that tenth that was supposed to be educated that was the buffer class. So that was the class to buffer between the white people and. Um, the masses of the black people, there's a buffer in between there, and that's where you had the boule and, and other people that were um, had a certain certain status within the black community and the society at large. Do you think so, that that was a good thing? Do you think that was a good thing? Did that help African Americans at the time or even mm-hmm. now? Do you think it was, you know, did it do any good? Well, no, it didn't do any good. What happened was, it helped the white community because they needed a buffer. They needed oh. those people who would assume positions within the black community that would help do their bidding and kind of keep the people kind of sedated, if you will, right? So okay. um, th- they were the, and if you know anything about the boule, they were the protectors of white power in the black community, even though they presented themselves as hey we're you know we're 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 the leaders of the black community they were really the gatekeepers for white power um, oh my god so so yeah so it wasn't that it wasn't a thing where the, you know so the whole talented tenth was more than just hey there's a certain amount of people that are talented that kind of thing no it was much more than that um so you still have that today. you still have remnants no, so in other words in other words, what you're saying then is that the talented tenth became a tool of white power. Yes. Yes. They were the ones that were the most well-dressed. They were the ones that were, um, they were the ones that were most well-dressed, that were the most educated. They were the ones that had the better jobs. They did the bidding, right? Those were, those were the ones that ran for, if somebody was running for office, it would be them. They would put them up to run. Right, because they knew what needed to be done um, for white power. Like they, they knew that they could only go so far. They knew what they needed to do to protect um, their paymasters, kind of sorta. So, yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing. And even to this day, when you look at groups like the Congressional Black Caucus and mm-hmm. all of them, I mean, that's just an extension of the whole boule and that whole talented tenth. You see, they have no teeth and they have no power. They do whatever it is that they're basically that their paymaster let them do, right? Um, they don't go outside of a certain boundary. You know, that's why a lot of people just moved away from that. Black people just moved away from that whole model. They're largely ineffective. Wow, that they is have amazing. A lot of conferences. They have a lot of lunches. They have a lot of this and that. They'll come mm-hmm. in front of your face and say, hey, you know, black this, black mm-hmm. that, black that. But then mm-hmm. when it comes to legislation, it's minority mm-hmm. this, minority that. And guess who minorities are? White women, Mexicans, LGBTQ, <laughs> you know? like, right. And then we're still at the bottom of the barrel. So they play those little games on us, and that, that's, what, that's what happens. But luckily people are wise, they're, they're getting wise to the whole thing. You know, the new black media, what you're doing, your show, everybody else with their shows on YouTube and this different media, they're starting to push the narrative in a different direction. And that's something that the boule class can't control at this point. They used to be able to control, but they can't control anymore. The information is getting out. The knowledge is getting out. People, are, Black people are now talking about 
just not voting until we get something. That's new, relatively new. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? So we're starting to wise up. And it's people like you that are helping this whole movement, right? Mm-hmm. Just wow. That's what you're doing, just putting out information, and they can't control it anymore. They're starting to lose control over the black masses, the boule class, you know, coming and saying, oh, you need to vote. People died for you to vote. People are not falling for that anymore. You know, wow. you need to vote because Trump's a monster. He's racist. And you're not going to scare us with that anymore. We've been through much. No. Nah. Isn't that the truth, though? <laughs> you can't come. We've a been friend through of much mine. You're not, that, that doesn't yeah, work exactly. anymore. A friend of mine is uh, is a Republican. She's a powerful black woman in this state. I'm going to have her on sometime, right? You have to hear what yeah. she has to say. And a, a few years ago, I was introduced to her. And somebody said, you need to hear her. Just listen. And I really sat down and listened to what she had to say. And she echoed the same things that you were saying. She really... Yeah, and, and she I'm not Republican. It in a different so don't way. Get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not I'm not Republican, so please don't get me wrong. I'm not a Trump. I understand, I'm bleeding. I'm not I understand what you're saying. I understand. But what you're saying is the narrative has moved in a different direction. So it's no longer, you can't control how I think now that benefits, that still contributes to the white power class. That's what you're saying. I get that. Yeah, so what happens is, and if you have no leverage, see, we have a lot of leverage, but we never use it. But we never use it, right. What, we we have a lot of leverage. If, 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 if there were 100 people that needed to vote for you, if you were running for office, and we all said, hey, you know, this is kind of what we want. We want we want this one thing that could really help our community out. And you said no. Well, we can say, well, in order for you to win, you're going to need us. So if you don't want to do it, that's fine. You'll never win an election. Thank you. Thank you for your time. That's leverage. <laughs> now you have to go back and you have to think, how bad do I really want? If I really want to win, I got to mm-hmm. give these people what they want. Quid pro quo. That's me. That's my vote. Quid pro quo. <laughs> you, you know, if you that's, mm-hmm. in every dealing that we have, you give me money, my price, mm-hmm. and I'll give you the service. You call an electrician or, or anybody, right. my, yeah. my price is this. If we agree, you give me the money, I give you the service, done. Same with voting. Okay, we'll wow. vote, but we want this. Fully, that's another one of our problems. We don't know why what don't we you, want. Why don't you really. run for office in your area? Why don't you run for office? Because I'm not, I'm not currently in the United States. I'm working outside the United States right now. Oh. Um, yeah, but but I mean, I'm, I'm I'm born in the U.S. Right? I'm an American citizen, but I'm just working because I'm a consultant. I work different okay. places, right? So. Yeah. But uh, I, I would say, you know, this is a great program, and these are the kind of discussions that need to be had. The discussion, right. kind of discussions you're bringing up. I think it needs to be a wider – some discussions need to be behind closed doors, of course. But I think mm-hmm. it's a broader discussion of, okay, so what's the plan going forward? What's the strategy going forward? Let's all have a conversation. You know, you brought up a good point about, you know, education. What is the purpose of education? Um, we usually say things like when voting, when the voting comes around, we want better education, which means absolutely nothing. <laughs> Like what is better? It means absolutely nothing. What's that? Like uh-huh. you said, what's the strategy? What do we want our kids to learn? What kind of mm-hmm. courses? What what should the curriculum look like when they graduate from high school? What should they know? Should they know finance? Since they got to know about money, right? Yeah. They know about, should they know about interest? Everybody know about interest rates, this and that. Should they know a certain part of technology? Like what? We have to right. figure that out. We have right. to put that down on paper. And when we go to every political candidate out there, we just slide them that piece of paper. This is what we want. Hmm. This is exactly what we want. These are the top ten things we want. If you can put these ten things on your platform, then we'll be open to voting for you or at least listening to you. Right? Wow. Get back to us. And then just leave. Like, get back to us. Hmm. That would revolutionize the whole thing. at, At that point, yeah. It would change our whole situation. It because would change about, our whole thing. Yep. I would change our voting situation because now they can't, we have leverage, and certain politicians would not be able to ignore us. They would have a very hard decision to make. 
Yep. Either You're I want to win or I don't. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but great program, great information. This is my first time listening. I just happened to stumble upon this. So <laughs> Thank you. This is really great. Thank you so much. Hope you call back in again. Be blessed. Thanks so much. I, I will do. I will do so. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Well, I don't know what else to say because I think my callers have just about ramped us all up and given us new perspective. We need to have a strategy. We need to figure out what it is that we want to achieve. And like I said, the talented 10th might have been good for a different time, but it does not apply anymore. And if it were really cloaked in the advancement of colored people, but really was meant as a continuation, as a tool for white people to control black people through a group of people, which sounds like what it was, then that day and time is over. Now through media and open media, uh, a, a politician can speak to me and you. He can just talk to us through social media, pop up on your Facebook page and tell you what you want. Well, that media is interactive. So we no longer have to sit and wait for him to show up in a room filled with 5,000 other people and you can't get to him. You can interact with him right there on his Facebook page, right there on his Twitter feed, right there on his Instagram page. And you can ask him, what's up? Here are my concerns. You want my support? Here's what is on my mind. When people come to me and ask me, I said, what are you talking about? I always want to know what's the story. What are you defending? What are you interested in? Well, here are the things I think we should focus on. And if we're not focused on it, then I can't give you my support. You get my support when you're going to focus on these things that are of concern to me. Right now in the black community, my biggest problem is wealth creation. Because if people have wealth, it's going to eliminate the poverty that is driving frustration, that is pushing violence. If people have wealth, they won't need to fire guns at 3 o'clock in the morning on New Year's Eve. They'll be too busy having to get up the next morning to go open their businesses. Do you see where I'm coming from? The minute they eliminated the wealth, the creation of wealth in the black community, where black communities no longer had businesses, that was the march and the demise of the black ethnic group. So we decided that we were all going to get degrees. And now we are riddled with student loan debt that your grandmama has three degrees and is still an adjunct professor. How in Dickens' name she had to follow the same course of study as her white counterpart, but the white counterpart gets the tenured professorship and she's an adjunct professor, and in between, which means that she works one semester a year, every other semester, every other year, every odd number year. In the meantime, she's out on, 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 uh, on, on food stamps or working in retails just to be able to get by. That is foolishness. Again, I'm going to ask the question you all are asking. What is the point of education? I keep asking this question. Whenever people come to me, I say, what is the point? If I am still on the same stage with people who have three degrees, tell me what was the point. You have collected three degrees, four degrees. You are still being paid way below what you are worth. And you still end up broke, busted, and disgusted. How many of us can flash a black card or an American Express card? Come on now. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and, and there is still a, a black uh, upper middle class. Yes, that exists. And they still act as if they're elite and they do stimulate. This is the thing I don't like. I like when you're original and you are proud of your own skin. I like when you walk in your truth and you are proud of who you are. I don't have to simulate being anybody to feel validated as a person. I don't appreciate the upper black, the, the upper middle class blacks who tend to think that because they occupy and sometimes visit white spaces, that means that means you're elite. You still are searching for validation. That's not what all them folks die for, man. They die so that you can be free. Can you be free in your mind? That's what Bob Marley said. Bob Marley said, emancipate ourselves from mental slavery. The mental enslavement that comes from believing that the only form of validation of my personhood as a human being is me existing in white spaces. That stuff doesn't fly with me at all. So if you really want my support, and if you really want to hear what I have to say, 
You need to be proud of who you are. I am proud of who I am all day, every day. I am me and I can't change me. I can't change my skin. I can't change my hair, right? I can't change the way I sound. And guess what? I'm all right. I love being me. I also believe I have a contribution to make. So guess what? I'm going to invite you in and I'm going to entertain you. And I want to hear what you have to say. What makes you think you're better than me? What makes you think you are superior to me? Because I don't think like that. And if anybody should think like that, I come from a whole different social genre where I'm kind of, if we were to follow that, I, I would be ahead of you by leaps and bounds. But I don't subscribe to that. I want to believe that my worth is in here. I want to believe that your worth is in your head. So let us come together and solve this problem. Because a hundred and odd years ago, you still allow white power to separate you and make you feel that you were better than your cousins. I, I said this when I first moved to Detroit. I moved to the Detroit metro area in 2003. And you got to understand, let me give you some background. You got to understand, <laughs> I was coming from upper middle class Orlando. You ever heard about shock? It's like they put me right smack in the middle of I don't know what. I had never had the inner city experience in my life. And here I am. And I was like, what the heck is going on? I couldn't believe that as a group, black folks were not united. That there was, I used to call them the black intelligentsia, because they acted as if they were so far removed from their cousins. When as an outsider, what I observed was that white people saw you all as the same. They don't see you as a black engineer or a black doctor. They see you as black, period. Do you see what the definition is? The defining thing about you is your color still. And yet, here are black people over here separating themselves as if. That made a difference, as if that was going to change anything. And a hundred years later, we still are stuck in poverty and endemic generational poverty that is producing the highest death rate amongst young black people. My God in heaven, call any mortician or funeral home and see the funerals that are lined up with young black men. They fill the slabs on mortician stables in any major city in the USA. Uh, what, are, what is the black intelligentsia doing? It's not me. I'm not one of them. I'm different from them. Please just see me as I am. You are not making a difference. Because at the end of the day, when they wipe out your position, you end up in the same place as your black cousins. Now you get me. That is what you need to change. So now go back again and come back again and tell me you're going to line up, be a politician, and don't just be part of the caucuses that push forward the ideologies that they want us to push for. Is it benefiting us? Is it going to move my mountain? You got to hear from my friend, Linda Tarver. You got to hear how she sees it different. I found someone who actually saw it in the way that I was thinking, because I see this as a collective problem. This is not, I have friends. I asked my friends this when I moved to Detroit. Right? I discovered that in Detroit, there's a social demarcation line. It's called Eight Mile Road. Eight Mile Road is the disconnect between Detroit, the city, and the suburban areas to the north. I found that in the personhood and in the mindset of a black person, migrating across Eight Mile Road meant that you had crossed over into the promised land. Right? And what I found was that they forgot that their cousins lived over here. And I used to say that as long as your cousins still live here, there's no change because the way the wider community sees us is that we're all black. So get with it. Do you see what I'm saying? It's time for a change. It's time for a change. We need to change our mindset. This is about the money. Make the money. Young Tell them, change your major. Don't come out here with no fine arts degree. Go make some money. Think about how to make some money. And then we can start talking. This is Harriet Kemmerich with Down to Earth. Thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to having you back. Make sure you participate in the various places that you see us, Apple, 
Spotify, Google Podcasts. They want me to say all this stuff and I can never get it in. This is down to earth, everybody. Be blessed. Thank you so much for being a part of my show this morning. <laughs> I don't know what to say, y'all. <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.